You're listening to The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. The Hero of the Story helps you study and teach the story of redemption from all Scripture. Now join your hosts, Aaron Armstrong and Brian Dembozik. Hey, welcome to The Hero of the Story podcast. I'm Aaron, the brand manager for The Gospel Project, and with me is my co-host, Brian Dembozik, our, our managing editor. Brian, you having a good afternoon? I am. How about you? Is it the afternoon? It, it's somewhere near that. Okay, good. All right. We're. It's been a long day. So my far. stomach's starting to, to churn a little bit. So it's probably close to lunch. Probably, yeah. So okay. Now keep in mind, um, folks, in in our culture of of work, um, lunchtime can start as early as about ten o'clock for some people, but and, and go I, as late as about one. And I know technically that's not afternoon because. By definition, afternoon. True. But I still consider like 10 o'clock, it starts to feel like afternoon for me when I start at six or so. Yeah, kind of, kind of. So I get that. Yeah. So um, so we are here with a new episode of our podcast, um, and we are talking about gospel threads in the New Testament, which sounds a little bit like we just entered the redundant school of redundancy, doesn't it? Yes, it does, because yeah. isn't that the same thing? Absolutely. Well, I mean, here's the thing, is when we look at the New Testament um, and we we think the word gos- the, the gospel, um, a lot of us, we, we tend to associate the gospel with the gospel's yeah. <laughs> um, and more broadly, we uh, and then and more broadly, when we look at the structure of the Bible, um, in an earlier episode, you talked about how the gospel, the gospels themselves are are kind of a magnet in the in the in the book itself. Um, that the Old Testament all points forward to it, and um, the the epistles and everything after um, are all pointing back yeah. back to them as well. Um, but the way that we the way that we think about these books in terms of how we we seek to live in light of them is we we tend to do a you know do 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 uh, and then we get Jesus in the middle and we get a little break and then we st- as soon as Acts starts we go do 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 again which you know honestly that's just a bunch of do do it it is a lot and yeah. and the jokes about do do as as a dad of three uh, younger kids just come flooding into my mind right now and then i'm also thinking that is the worst song i've ever heard the do 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 song that you just did the do 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 da da yeah. da da yeah yeah, yeah. but but oh, let's not get let's not lose your main point on yeah no. that's the let's not lose your main point on <laughs> on your um do doing um yeah we we <laughs> We tend to look, come on, bring it back. We tend yeah. to look at, at scripture that way. We, we, we look and we focus so much on ourselves in the Old Testament. And then we get this break of Jesus and we see the beauty of who Jesus is in, in the four gospels. And then we lapse so easily back to, okay, well, now it's about what I need to do again. Right. And so that's why it's important that we have this conversation, that the gospel runs throughout the New Testament and we, we can't take that for granted. Just because we're in the New Testament does not mean we're on safe, gospel-centered ground. We still have to fight our natural tendency toward moralism in the New Testament. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, even in, um, even in, in that respect, it also, it also, we also have to be careful of how we're viewing Jesus himself. I yeah. Mean, you know, we, we've heard lots of G- gentle Jesus, meek and mild, or, yeah. um, you know, there's the, that, that, famous and absolutely you know sermon illustration ready moment from Talladega Nights um the ballad of Ricky Bobby 
that, uh, you know, wherein they're talking about their, their different, their, their favorite kinds of Jesus, um, you know, Ba- little little baby nine pound seven ounce in his baby Jesus in his golden diaper, that kind of thing. We we don't get to do that with the with Jesus in the yeah. in the Gospels um, any more than we get to do do that in the in the rest of the New Testament any more than we get to do that in the Old Testament as well um, with 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 God just in general um, that. Um, we're not talking about a gentle Jesus, yeah. meek and mild, who gives us the option of following or not. Yeah, and, and this is important as well because when we read through the Gospels and we see who Jesus is and, and how he was living, a lot of that is is understood in light of the Old Testament. You know, his fulfilling prophecies, for example, riding into Jerusalem yeah. on, a, on, on, a, on a cult. You know, of course, we have to understand the bigger picture, but also we have to understand where he's going, mm-hmm. that, that he is there to bring about what he said in his introduction, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to understand also that, that what we encounter in the, in, in the gospels, what Jesus did was also looking ahead toward what he will do one day when he returns. So, so we're, we just have to be as just as careful as we're reading through the gospels to keep the bigger story in mind, the gospel in mind. Absolutely. So we're going to do something a little bit different um, with this episode. We're actually going to ask the question that we normally ask at the end of an episode, we're going to ask it first. And so that question is, is so how does, a, how does a focus on on the gospel story, how does being saturated in the, saturated, immersed in the gospel story change how we live right now? And we're going to, and with this, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to, we're going to narrow in on one key area, which is how does it help us really as parents? Yeah. Yeah, you know, as, as parents, and again, Aaron and I are, are both coming from, we're both coming from the same position as, as being fathers um, of children still in the home and, and husbands of, of wives, of course, as well. And so the gospel needs to carry over into that realm. So how are we, how are we training our, our sons and daughters? How are we loving them? Um, and, and I think it, for us, we have to see the New Testament as we read the Gospels, as we see who Jesus is and how he lived, as we see the, the commands in the epistles, and we carry those over into our homes and think, all right, um, love and sacrifice, um, am, am I loving and sacrificing for my family to show them the beauty of the Gospel? Um, am, am I willing to, to die to myself in my home with, with my family? Um, am I pointing my kids toward Jesus in, in my times of, of discipling them? Am I pointing them to the beauty of who Jesus is? Or am I lapsing into a moralistic approach as a parent, as a father? Mm-hmm. Am I just saying, just do this? And that's easy for us to do at times, especially when your kid's misbehaving. You just want to say, no, just do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had this encounter last night with my daughter. She just was not obeying to go get her shower. She she was you know, stopping and putzing around. And I, and I just finally said out of frustration, just do it. Do what you're, you're told. Yep. Well, in that moment, I was not showing her a great gospel-centered approach to living. <laughs> And so that's what we have to remember, that we have to fight as, as dads to get to the point of, of and, and helping being instruments to just um, get our, our kids' hearts wrapped around the beauty of who Christ is and what he's done for them yeah. in the home. Absolutely. And, and of course, 
that doesn't mean that we um, let our kids live in a consequence-free environment and and all those um, seemingly unnecessary but necessary caveats that that we should put in place. Like we discipline, but when we discipline, we discipline in light of in light of the gospel that it's that yeah. it's um, corrective, not punitive. That um, we are we are doing it in such a way that um, it. Um, that it encourages them to see it as, um, I hope, as a as a legitimate kindness, yeah. and not as something that is that is cruel and unhelpful. I mean, for me, also, it's um, it's one of those things that um, it's actually a stop, like a a check for me, like when I'm in an, in one of those kind of situations that it's like, okay, am I able to like with with how I'm feeling in that moment, am I actually able to discipline in such a way that um, I will be modeling um, God's love for yeah. us in how he disciplines and chastens us? Um, and if if I can't do that, then I have to wait yeah. um, before dealing with a situation. Um, at the same time, um, I think one of the things that this this kind of mindset does where where we're focused on the on the gospel and and particularly as we read the New Testament, um, one of the things that it does is that it challenges us to be vulnerable with our yeah. kids in that we actually repent to them. Yes. So my kids have heard me say, "I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me?" a lot and usually it's because and it's usually in times when i haven't listened to what's going on in that spot check that i need to do um so i've been harsh harsher than necessary with my words i've just been thoughtless with my words um uncharitable and because of that i've sinned against them and i've hurt them and so i need them to forgive me um you know it's another area um one of the rhythms I've tried to establish with, with my children early on, my oldest son, Joshua, is, is about 13. And mm-hmm. so for the last 13 years or so, um, is on a regular rhythm of, of asking them, why do I love you? Mm-hmm. One-on-one, usually it's at nighttime, you know, getting them in bed or whatever. And I'll, I'll say, you know, why do, why do I love you? Um, and the answer that, that I'm drawing out of them is because you're my father and I'm your son. Or in my daughter's case, of course, I'm your daughter. Yeah. And, you know, I'll ask them, well, is there anything you can do to make me love you more? And their answer is no. Mm-hmm. Is there anything I can do to make you, or is there anything you can do to make me love you less? The answer is no. And again, it's why? Because I'm your son. I'm your daughter. And I'm trying um, in this to, to establish a rhythm of them understanding their position as a child of mine, because I want that to help them understand their position as childs of God, mm-hmm. children of God. Um, you know, Romans talks about adoption, and that's the confidence that we have mm-hmm. um, is because we've been adopted, and nothing can change that. Nothing yeah. can separate us from the love of Christ, and that's kind of what I'm trying to instill in them in that rhythm of mm-hmm. helping them connect dots. Yeah, absolutely, and that's actually a really good. Um, way to transition to, into one of our examples of how we see these gospel threads playing themselves out in um, in how we read and, and seek to apply the New Testament and um, and right away with one that is the um, is central to this the Sermon on the Mount um, this is this is one that we're going to come back to again in a, in a deeper way at another time as as is going to happen with all of these but um, 
think about how the Sermon on the Mount starts. It starts with the Beatitudes, these, these statements from Jesus that start, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed mm-hmm. are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and so on. Um, one of the ways that we tend to tend to do the uh, to approach these is we tend to say, okay, if you're you're blessed if you are like this, if you are poor in spirit, or sometimes we just say if you are poor, yeah. um, you are blessed if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, and and that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's not. He's not starting out. He, what he's giving us is he's. Uh, he's giving us a, a totality of a picture of the kind of person who is blessed by God. That that much is true. And there there are certain care. But these are a collective. These are the collective characteristics of a person who is broken by sin. A person who knows that they have nothing that they can offer um, their Creator as. Um, as evidence of their yeah. righteousness, that that what they have is um, in the you know in the words of Isaiah are are nothing but filthy rags. Um, it's it's nothing. It's 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 um, as as Paul says in in Philippians, it's garbage um, or something much harsher, um, which we're not going to say. <laughs> it would take us back to our previous conversation about doo doo. Absolutely. Doo-doo. Yeah. It's a bunch of doo doo. Um, <laughs> and, um, there is, and so it's pretty, so it's, it's intense stuff. And what, what Jesus is saying is, he's like, no, this is who you are. Yeah. If you follow me, this is who I say you are. You are blessed. And that's the starting point. And so someone who is blessed by God, someone who is loved by God, someone who is in and is these things because they are in Christ, they have everything that they need. And so their obedience flows out of that. Yeah. Um, And that's what informs the rest of the commands that Jesus gives in the Beatitudes. Yeah. He, I mean, really you think about the Sermon on the Mount and it can be thought of as, um, answering this question, what does a disciple of mine really look like? What does it look like really to follow me? And and that's so important that he starts with identity. He starts with that. All right, let me let me start with identity first. Let me. We would, you know, it's almost counterintuitive. We would expect him to start. Well, okay, do this, this, and this, and then this will be true of you. Right. But it's turned on its head from our perspective, right side up from his, of course, that we start with identity. Well, this is who you are, and because of this, this will flow out of you. You see it also in, in one of the next major sections, perhaps my favorite part, where Jesus refers to Old Testament commands, the laws, and says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, for example. And he says, but I say to you, do not hate. And if you look at that section, uh, it's about five or six different examples I believe he gives. Each one focuses on external conduct. You've heard it said, do not murder. That's, a, that's an action. And he moves the thinking to the heart. The mm-hmm. posture of the heart, identity, is but don't hate. Right. And so his point there seems to be, look, don't focus on conduct. If you're focusing on conduct, you're missing it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, it's, you're not going to win that way Absolutely. because you're focusing on what you can do. Instead, focus on who I have made you. Focus on your true identity. Focus on the posture of your heart and let that drive your conduct. If you have a heart that has no hate in it, it's hard to murder. Yeah. 
Um, and so, but many of us have never murdered, but have hearts full of hate. Absolutely. So it seems like, and this is the same principle we see in the epistles, that we see um, Paul, for example, writing here are, are several chapters of doctrine, of truth, of what Christ has done. Here's the gospel. And then he ends with, okay, now in light of that, this is how the, the, the only natural, the only reasonable response is to live this way. Absolutely. In light of that. Yeah. And so that's kind of what Jesus is getting on our radar here that we see throughout the New Testament. Our, our identity drives our behavior, not the other way around. Right. And before we transition into, the, in, into our next example, it's important to note that what Jesus is doing here is he's not setting up a new pattern of teaching or behavior. He's, at, he's continuing the, the pattern that began in the Old Testament with the giving, really with um, even before the, the giving of the law. Yeah. But you see it most clearly there. When you look at the 10, just look at the 10 commandments. The first thing that you see is, I am the Lord, your God, who yeah. rescued you out of Egypt. We run past that preamble, if you want to call it right. that, and get to the, the meat of, all right, what are the 10 things I have to do or not do? Right. And we miss that, as you're saying, yeah. no, let me remind you of your identity. Yeah. I've redeemed you. Yeah. I rescued you. Now, therefore, you should have, you will have no other gods. Man. I'm the one who did this. Not, not Molech, not Baal, not Chemosh, not any of the other ones that they chased after for centuries and torpedoed their entire lives. None of that mattered because, uh, and none of them were worth following because they were not the ones who yeah. rescued them. Um, for us, Christ is the one who rescues us. He is our God. Yes. We live in light of what he has done for us, not the yeah, other way. Who around. he is, what he's done for us, and who he's made us. Right. We, we follow that matrix, and that drives the, the obedience that, that Christ is after, that honors him, that, that exemplifies the gospel to a world around us that desperately needs to see the beauty of it. Absolutely. Now, the second one that uh, we've got as an example is um, relationships, specifically marriage and, and sexual purity. And I mean, you see a lot of this in Paul's writing in particular, although Jesus hints on it too, guys, mm -hmm. and everyone else does as well. Um, you know, you see, but you see Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, he, he gives an explicit warning. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Run from it. Get away from it as fast as you can. Elsewhere, he says, and this is before he talks about principles for marriage. Then he also, but he also talks about how um, he says, don't you know that people, and he doesn't limit this to, to people in, engaged in different kinds of sexual immorality, but he says, you know, things like, didn't you know that adulterers and idolaters and swindlers and um, liars and and um, along with men who practice homosexuality and um, all of these other all of these other sins in this laundry list of um, offenses against God, he says, don't you know none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God? No one who practices these things habitually, ongoing, unrepentantly, unrelentingly will ever enter the kingdom of God. And then he follows it up with this mind-blowing, shocking thing. And he says, and such were some of you. Yep. 
He says, you were people who did all of these things and probably worse. <laughs> um, um, I mean, keep in mind, the Corinth- and this was to the Corinthian church, the church that was, um, you know, so, so free in Christ that there was a dude sleeping with his, with his stepmom. We hope it was his stepmom anyway, because um, you, <laughs> um, and they were cool with this. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, but he says, but you were washed. You were sealed in the spirit. You were made clean and pure. And this is really important for us because um, often for people who grew up in the church, which I mean, admittedly, I didn't. So this is not something that I have a lot of firsthand experience with. I've only heard stories of, you know, the the fallout of, you know, true love waits and kissing, dating goodbye and things like this. And um, the the oft repeated limerick that uh, one of my pastors told me um, that he heard growing up and he's and he was like, this was terrible advice. It was the worst. Um, it was don't smoke, don't chew, and don't don't run with girls who do. Um, that was that was the culture that he grew up in. And Brian, you grew up I did. in church. Yeah, I did, and, and I, I grew up in that environment and that time frame as well. Um, and, and again, the the and there was a lot that was good. I, I don't think we can paint with too broad of a brush. No, no. But the I think the the problem where that all fell short was we stopped too short. And the explanation at at usually it was do not have sex outside of marriage because it's wrong and right. you, don't, you don't want God being mad at you. Um, the better ones usually got to the next step of saying, oh, by the way, it's also for your best. Right. And as we know, all of God's commands are for His glory and our good. So God's uh, His picture of marriage, His design of marriage, and the purity is better than our design. And so there's truth to that, of course. And and kids need to know that as well. But where it stopped was getting to that next step. This is where I think it fell short by and large of we didn't get to the gospel in this and have present a gospel-centered approach to sexual purity. And I would say that really this has to take us to the idea of, of the purity of who God has made us and how that happened. It happened through Christ. Mm-hmm. And think about the purity of Christ. Think about his faithfulness. See, sexual immorality... Is, is, is so contrary to faithfulness. It is unfaithfulness, as about as unfaithful as you can get. It's joining together. Scripture says that sex is joining yourself together, becoming one with somebody else. And so the reason why God does not want me, why he, he commands me not to have sex with another woman beside my wife is because I cannot be joined with two women at once like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's not correct. It's not proper. And so faithfulness is a way to think about this. Well, who was more faithful than Christ when he obeyed the Father, he came to earth, he was faithful. He lived a sinless life of perfect obedience. He was faithful to go to the cross and lay down his life. That is what has brought about our salvation. Mm -hmm. And so to understand the importance of faithfulness, to understand the importance of purity, and now that we have been made pure, um, in Christ, that we are holy and pure and blameless. And so our living holy lives is a way that we can portray the, the, the truth of who we have been made in Christ. And also it echoes this picture that, that God gives us over and over in scripture of the church being the bride of Christ. 
And so we are to be a faithful bride. We are to be pure and not attach ourselves, not become one with other gods, with mm-hmm. other loves in our lives. So I think, you know, going back to the, the Old Testament, Hosea and Gomer, of course, is the, the the beautiful picture of this, where God is pictured through Hosea, the, the loving, faithful husband who is being loving and unfaithful even to an unfaithful bride, mm-hmm. um, a wife. And just that picture of what God has done for Israel and what he's done for us as well. And so in light of that, knowing that, knowing what Christ has done, purity should matter to us, both purity in our worship of God, but also our purity in in sexual purity in other areas. Absolutely. And uh, the third example that uh, we want to share actually comes from uh, 1 Peter and from Romans. Um, It is the command to obey authorities. And this one's a really tough one because we live in a culture that tells us explicitly not to trust authorities. Like they're they're for decades, um, that has been the the mantra that uh, has been beat into um, into us. Um, at question everything, especially people who are are older than us, especially people who are seated in positions of power, all this kind of stuff. And it's a dangerous game to play. Mm-hmm. Um, because so much can go wrong with it. Now, the thing here is that when Paul and Peter both command obedience to authority, which um, the, the, the passages I have in mind are dealing with governments, and so, so that kind of authority, but it, it, there's, there's examples that are, are beyond that, which yeah. we'll get to in a second. Um, he's talking about a government, they're talking about a government that was systematically persecuting Christians. He's talking about the Roman Empire. Peter says to honor the empire. Paul calls the Roman authority, the Roman magistrates, um, instruments of God's yeah. justice. They're doing God's God's appointed will appointed by him appointed by him. And that's an important that's an important thing for us is that if all authority is appointed by God. One of the ways that we express our love for God is by obeying God's commands. Yeah. Um, if God is commanding us to obey authority, that doesn't um, then we're obligated to do that. That, of course, that doesn't mean that we obey unrighteous commands exactly. from, from the authorities that are over us. So if, if, the govern, if a government, any government, um, civil, federal, state, whatever, um, if any authority is telling us to overtly disobey God's commands— we are obligated to follow yep. God, not men. We see that in Daniel. We see that in Acts. Exactly. Yeah, we see it all over the place. It's re- So there's no question about that. And it doesn't mean that we, um, and it doesn't mean that we follow one particular party line if we're in a if we're in a uh, country that has a has a two or more party system. Um, you know, or if you're like me from Canada, you are from a you know, everyone can be a party unto themselves. <laughs> um, that kind of thing, really. Um, yeah, it doesn't mean that know, we don't it, engage. It yeah, doesn't exactly. mean that we don't. We, we engage. Yeah. 
we we engage fully we um within with whatever means are of engagement are are granted to us as a gift from ultimately a gift from god yeah to play a role in civil governance but um it means that we don't put our hope in those things and it we, and it doesn't mean that we see those things as um you know the end all be all of anything that we're doing um it's not the hope that we have but it is a way for us to honor and bless others as we as we are um as we are witnesses to the the goodness and and graciousness of God and we and we seek to bring the truth of the gospel to bear on every area of life. Yes. Yeah, the norm what's normative of us is to obey authority, to obey government, to pay our taxes. Jesus even talked about yeah. that. Um, it is to it is to follow the commands of our government over us and yield in submission and honor to them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what you're expressing is so true that that we have to do that. One, to show that our hope is not ultimately in our governments. Our hope is in Christ, that our governments will not make everything right and good and as they should be. Christ will do that when he returns. Yeah. Um, now, again, as we talked about, we should be pursuing governments to do what is right and, and deal with injustices and so forth. Um, but that is not our hope. Um, at the same time, what this does is it gives us an avenue and this is what Peter talked about in First Peter a lot, that, hey, the way you obey those in authority over you, even when they're unjust, reveals something about who God is in the gospel to mm-hmm. others around you. When they see you yielding and submitting and obeying with joy, um, even through pain, uh, but when they see you doing that, that should cause them to say, why can you do that? How are you able to submit to a government that is unkind to you or, or whatever? And the answer is, because of the gospel, because of who Christ has made me, and because of what Christ has done. Mm-hmm. This is what he did. Christ came and he willingly put himself under human government. He, he again, he said, pay taxes to Caesar. He stood on trial before government officials who wrongly condemned him to die. He mm-hmm. went to the cross. And so he models to us the way that he obeyed, and his obedience is what led to our salvation. Mm-hmm. And so obedience matters that, that we likewise obey government over us as a way to show the importance of honoring authority because there's no greater authority than God's authority. If, if we can't obey the authority over us, if we can't obey governments, if we can't obey our, our, our parents, mm-hmm. how are we going to obey God? Yeah. So obedience and, and humbling ourselves before authority is, is critical to understanding the gospel. You, you cannot get, you know, you cannot get to the point of trusting in Christ and being saved apart from this. Yeah. You've got to come humbly recognizing God's authority that he, we are sinners, that he is right to judge us and condemn us. And we do not resist that authority, but we submit to it mm-hmm. and then appeal to him for mercy and grace that we find through Christ. Yeah. Man, Brian, that is a great place for us to wrap up for today. Um, everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of Hear of the Story. Um, it, we'd love to hear hear from you on, on what you think about this episode. Um, if you've got questions, if you've got um, any feedback for us, we would love to, love to hear it. Um, one of these days, we're actually going to do an, an episode that... Um, 
is is just going to be addressing questions from from you guys. Um, so hit us up at uh, via email with at uh, the gospel project at lifeway.com. You can also connect with us on Twitter um, or at twitter.com slash gospel underscore project. Um, or you can or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the gospel project. Thanks for listening to the hero of the story presented by the gospel project a family of resources revealing how all scripture gives testimony to Jesus. Learn more at gospelproject.com.